You are listening to the CMC Podcast. Join us each week for messages designed to equip, inspire, and motivate. And now for today's message from Pastor Paul Kern. Well, turn to uh, Colossians chapter 2 with me. And we're going to start in verse 4. I finished in verse 3 last Wednesday. So we're going to pick up chapter 2, verse 4, and we're going to read all the way through verse 15 together. It says, I'm telling you this so no one will deceive you with well-crafted arguments. So right there you know that's how you get deceived. Well-crafted, well-spoken, well-presented, seems logical, sounds right. You got to be careful. Said, for though I am far away from you, my heart is with you, and I rejoice that you are living as you should, and that your faith in Christ is strong. And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him, and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth that you were taught, and you will overflow with thankfulness. Or some translations say gratefulness. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. So you are also complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. Now, when you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you were raised to new life because you trusted in the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. Can I have an amen? So you were dead because of your sins, and because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive in Christ, for he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it on the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. And we were singing that song in worship, champion of the world, right? How do we know that? Right here, Colossians is showing us how Jesus won the victory. So in our last study, we discussed five key words of the New Testament. They were justification, redemption, forgiveness, adoption, and reconciliation. And then we talked about how important these five key words were for us. Uh, The word that we focused on out of those was reconciliation. And in reconciliation, we stand before God as an enemy, but we become his friend because we're reconciled. In other words, like if you're at odds with someone, well, I need to reconcile this relationship. So that means you work to bring peace. You work to make things right. And that's what Jesus did for us. He reconciled us back to God. Now, in reconciliation, we were enemies of God, but Jesus made us friends with God because of what Jesus accomplished. So God's ultimate plan was to reconcile us and the whole universe 
through Jesus Christ. And we talked about the changes that are going to happen in the world uh, when Jesus reconciles all things, the changes that are going to happen in us. It's going to be an incredible time. In this study, we're going to start by looking at a believer's walk, how you live your life, a believer's walk. At this point, the Colossians have received Jesus Christ as their Lord. They've settled their convictions about his deity, that he's God's son, and they've settled their convictions about his sufficiency. In other words, nothing else can make them right with God. Only Jesus Christ can do that. So they've settled that. And Paul affirms that they are standing firm against attacks from false teachers. So he says, now you must continue to walk in him. Now, this term walk means to follow or to be in union with, okay? It's, it's talking about a, a connection with Jesus. In a broader sense, union. You're in a, you're in a union with the Lord. Now, that means that you maintain a lifestyle of patterning yourself after Jesus. So, in other words, when somebody looks at you, they see him. Why? Well, because you are patterning your life after him. Now, we're going to dive into this, and this is, this is going to be good stuff right here. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 6, it says this. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. Now, what does that mean in the Greek? Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. Very clear, right? Well, what does it mean to be a follower of Christ? I mean, what does all that mean? It's, so, it's, it's deep. It's No, it's really not hard. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. Now, verse 7, look there in Colossians. Verse 7, it says, firmly rooted. Firmly rooted. That's the way you want your trees to be in your yard, especially when a storm blows through. That's the way you want your bushes and your shrubs and your plants to be. You want to be firmly rooted. If they're firmly rooted, they're going to be healthy. If they're firmly, firmly rooted, they won't be swept away by storms. If they're firmly rooted, when drought comes and there's no rain, they won't die. They'll survive. So he's talking about being firmly rooted. Y'all remember the parable that Jesus talked about the seed that fell on the different types of soil? And one of the soils that the seed fell on was a shallow soil. And it talked about that they they sprung up quickly in enthusiasm and emotion, but when tribulation came, when the sun beat down, they, they withered up. And I can't tell you the number of people that, that I've met over the years that came to church, got saved, super excited, and then persecution or tribulation or temptation came, and where'd they go? Well, they weren't rooted deep in the Lord. And this is, this is what Paul's trying to encourage the church at Colossian. He says, like a tree with deep roots and rich soil, you have been firmly rooted or planted in Christ. Now, that eternal planting happened in salvation for us. When we got saved, we were planted eternally in God's soil. Jesus became the source of our spiritual nourishment he became the source of our spiritual growth. He became the source of our spiritual fruit. So he's saying, as we walk in Christ, we are now being built up in him. Now, I want to kind of get into some practical aspects of this a little bit. So how many of y'all ever heard the term, you become who you hang around? 
right? We probably all heard that. Uh, you, you know, I've read a lot of different books, and it says that you, you'll be like the five people that are in your, your intimate friend group. That, that's who you're going to be like. You're going to have some of the same aspirations, the same passions, some of the same, you know, things that they enjoy and like. That, that's what happens. Now, have you ever noticed as you're hanging around, you know, two or three people that you're really close to, all of a sudden you start acting like them, maybe dressing like them, maybe saying little sayings like they say, right? We've, we've all done that. How many of y'all have ever noticed, you know, you, you start kind of acting like your parents, you see, you see them in the mirror, and you're like, oh, no, the very thing that I said I didn't want to do, you know. All of a sudden, you, you start to become that. Well, that's because when you spend time with people intimately, when you have, come on, union with them, they begin to influence you, and you begin to influence them. That's just the way it works. I mean, that's, that's the way it works. So as you walk with Jesus, as you are in constant union with him, you are going to look more and more and more like him. You are going to respond to life more and more like him, our storms, our difficulties, more and more like Jesus, because whoever you spend the most time with is who you are going to be most like. It's just given. That's, that's the way it's going to be. Uh, we had a youth pastor here years ago, Josh, uh, really he was kind of a mentor for Josh Stephen Sexton. A lot of y'all have heard of, of Stephen's name. It's been mentioned around here from time to time. He was our youth pastor for some 14 years, and he and I were uh, really good friends, and, and for the most part still are today. He kind of scarred me a little bit, but we're still really good friends. Uh, but one of the things that Stephen would always say is, here's the deal. Here's the deal. Jason's different people that have known him. Here's the deal. Or look at me. Look at me. Look at me. And, you know, after you're around him for a while, you catch yourself saying, here's the deal. Here's the deal. And I was like, no, don't say that, you know. It's just the way it works. Whoever you spend the most time with, they're going to impact you. Whoever or whatever you spend the most time with. So if you spend a lot of your time on social media, if you spend a lot of your time on Reddit, if you spend a lot of your time on streaming services, and that's a, a big part of your life, the internet, playing video games or whatever, you can't help but have that impact and influence your life, okay? Your, your worldview, how you see life, how you respond to life and people, that's going to influence you. So, a firm foundation in Jesus through prayer and reading the Word and meditating and worship, as you train yourself in becoming consistent in doing that, you're going to look more and more like Jesus every passing month of your life. A firm foundation in Jesus is absolutely imperative for you to have a healthy Christian life. Now, you can have an unhealthy Christian life, and that's not fun. Being a sick Christian, it's not fun. Being a healthy Christian, 
Christianity is awesome. It's fun. But if you are an unhealthy Christian, then like they talked about here, there are philosophies and things that can come in and capture you, deceive you, and pull you away from the Lord. The Scripture says we are to walk in Him, be rooted in Him, and be built up in Him. And as a result of these three, it says that we will overflow with gratitude. Now, I don't know if y'all have noticed this, but I have definitely noticed this in my own life. When I'm in prayer, and I'm in my Word, and I'm spending time with Jesus, I'm in a pretty good mood. My wife and I get along pretty darn good most of the time. People that I work with, I get along well with. I'm generally more happy. I'm generally more fulfilled. And I'm very full of gratitude. I just, when I'm where I'm supposed to be with the Lord, I literally wake up every day, no matter what's going on in my life, no no matter what I'm facing, no matter what trials that I'm going through, I, I hear it coming out of my mouth all the time, God, thank you. Thank you, God. I'm so grateful to you for all that you've done for me. God, I'm thankful that you saved me. God, I thank you that you've given me an eternal home with Jesus. God, I thank you that you have secured me, that your hand is on my life. God, I thank you that you are my strength. You are my rock. You are my high tower. You are my light. You are my hiding place. I mean, I just find myself overflowing with gratitude and thankfulness to the Lord when I am in union with Jesus. Now, when I'm not in union with Jesus, my wife tells me, don't come home. No. (laughs) When I'm not in union with Jesus, I I tend to murmur. Now, I know y'all probably don't do that. I'm just, I'm airing out my dirty laundry, you know, so y'all don't have to, to, you know, be the one to do that. I'm, I'm, that's the kind of guy I am. I'm doing that for you. But I, but I tend to murmur more. I tend to complain more. I become more negative. I become more easily frustrated with people. Mm. People, people, people. In other words, you're in the flesh. You're not in the spirit. See, when you're in union with Jesus, you're in the spirit, and there's just a grace that's much more profound that's upon you, especially when you're dealing with people. But when you're not, man, watch out. I'm, I, I am encouraging all of us to stay in union with Jesus because a grateful heart does you good like a medicine. The Bible says a merry heart, a grateful heart does good like a medicine. It, it literally affects affects you physically in every way, and it makes you a healthier person, even physically. Your blood pressure comes down. Your stress levels come down. Your triglycerides come down. Your cholesterol levels come down. All you got to do is just research this a little bit on Google, and you'll see how having that good attitude in your life affects all of that area. But that all comes in our source, from our source, from being firmly rooted in Jesus. Can I have an Amen. See, praise completes the circle in which blessings flow to us from God and return to him in the form of praise and adoration. So when God blesses us, it ought to just be this. It's reciprocal, right? God, thank you for blessing me. 
And then God blesses you. And God, thank you for blessing me. And then God blesses you. And I'm not just, you know, talking about necessarily things in the natural, you know, like with money or a car or a home or whatever, you know, a, a new puppy or whatever it is that you think would be great. I'm, I'm talking about even undergirding you emotionally, mentally, spiritually in those areas of your life. So as you walk in him, you grow in him, and you become established in your faith. As a result, you'll give praise to God. That's just how it naturally happens. All right, look at verse 8 with me. We'll talk a little bit about empty philosophies. Paul says, don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world. Now, listen, guys, we can't forget we have an enemy. The devil, out of sight, out of mind, you don't think about it, but you have an enemy that's out to deceive you at any point in time in your life. He's always trying to get us off track. So it says, that come from the spiritual powers of this world, rather from Christ. Now, since the dawn of recorded history, man has pondered the question of reality. The questions, who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? These questions have been asked for thousands of years by people. It's, a, it's universal to the human race. It's not just here in the United States of America. It's all over the world. Worldly philosophies try to answer these questions of the soul. And so the devil will try to bring in substitutes to try to answer these questions in your life. When I was in Bible college, I spent a lot of time studying philosophers and philosophy and, and, and mainly uh, looked a lot at Christian philosophers. But obviously, um, I did a lot of playing the devil's advocate and looking at worldly philosophers or humanistic philosophers because it intrigued me. The word philosophy means the love and pursuit of wisdom. The love and pursuit of wisdom. And because everyone has a worldview, you can really say, in a sense, that everyone's a philosopher. All of us in here are a philosopher because we all have a worldview. Now, like I said, when I was in college, I cut my teeth on the teachings of Francis Schaeffer. A lot of people call him the father of modern-day uh, Christian philosophy. Um, and some of the books that I read, How Should We Then Live? Uh, God is There and He is Not Silent. Uh, Living Beyond Reason. Uh, just, you know, b uh, Escape from Reason. These, these books shaped my philosophy about life and the existence of God. Francis Schaeffer emphasized that man cannot begin with himself and arrive at ultimate reality. And the Apostle Paul, he kind of affirmed what Francis Schaeffer said here. He said this, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, this is what the Scriptures mean when they say, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. See, man can't begin with himself and find ultimate reality within himself. One of the 
students that attended Francis Schaeffer's school called Leah Brie in Switzerland. His name was Oz Guinness. He's written quite a few books. I've read some of his works, and and he's just really uh, intelligent guy and and just is excellent at apologetics. In his book, The Dust of Death, I want to read a quote as he comments on the futility of modern man's search apart from God, trying to find reason and meaning in life apart from God. Here's what he said. Contemporary man with his self-drawn picture of society as the closed room with no exit is caught metaphysically and sociologically in the darkness of the room, evidently without windows, perhaps doors, he gropes round and round the edges. Can one hope that someone will dare wonder whether there is any light other than the feeble spark of his own making? Or will he stubbornly persist in treading the barren circle of poor premises? And we also are familiar with the 19th century philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche. He said that Christianity was a religion of weaklings. And he was one of the first men in modern day to proclaim that God is dead. That's what he said. He said, God is dead. And, you know, the problem was he couldn't live with the implications of his philosophy And sadly, the last 11 years of Nietzsche's life, he went insane. See, life has no ultimate purpose or meaning without God. And the Apostle Paul was warning the church to be careful of false teachings. They sound good. They're appealing. But they can capture you, and they can carry you away. The Apostle Paul summed it up in Romans chapter 1, verse 21 and 22. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. And as a result, their minds became dark, confused, claiming to be wise. Instead, they became utter fools. See, by eliminating God in his revelation From the picture, modern philosophy has plunged mankind into ignorance and darkness, hopelessness. That's where Nietzsche ended up, was in hopelessness, because his life had no meaning outside of intelligent design and a divine creator that gives your life purpose, that loved you and birthed you into the world, and you're here for a reason. See, Christianity in the teachings of the Bible can answer all three questions. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? Evolution can't answer that. Man-made philosophy can't answer that. The best they can do is that, you know, you're just a product of time and chance. You're here to fulfill your bodily desires for a few years, and then when you die, you'll be annihilated, and life is over. How's that for meaning? But that's where modern philosophy takes us. Paul reminded the church to maintain their allegiance to both the deity of Jesus and the sufficiency of Jesus. And he also reminded them that in Jesus are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You know, it saddens me to watch young people who are raised in church and then they 
graduate out of youth group and they go off to college or they get out in the world and they begin to live their life and, and you know, they get out of the Word. And, and that's what this is talking about. This whole thing is about staying in union, deeply rooted connected with Christ. And so you begin to lose those connections and all of the sudden your worldview begins to change. See, Paul warned them, look, don't let anyone capture you. Don't let anyone take your mind captive with empty philosophies, high-sounding nonsense, empty deceptions. And new converts to Christianity are very susceptible to this. Let me tell you who else is very susceptible to this. Immature Christians who have been saved for 10 or 15 years, yet they never read their Bible. See, you'll live in a place of instability. you'll, You'll wrestle with God because you don't have a firm understanding of God. Your relationship with God will never be able to go deep because you'll always be suspicious of God because you really, really don't know Him. But see, when you know Him, you're not suspicious of God. You don't question God's motives when bad things happen to you in life. You understand that God is providential. You understand that God is brilliant, that He's a genius, that He's all-wise, and His ways are much higher than your ways. And because you understand that God is a God of love and truth and righteousness, that there is no sin in Him, that God could never do anything to harm you, hurt you, or lead you astray. But see, when you're not rooted in that understanding, you question God's intentions, and you fall away. You become captured. And I don't want any of the members of our church, whether here or online, whether those of you who listen to us uh, on our podcast uh, from out of town or maybe even in another country, we don't want any of our, of our believers being taken, taken captive by empty deceptions. And it's subtle. It's so subtle. I've watched it. I watch Christians get into crystals, meditation, New Age, psychology, ritualism, mysticism. They get into self-denial of the body, legalism. They get into human philosophy. I've watched a lot of people take these different routes. And, And here's the thing. Here's why they do this. It sounds spiritual. It has an appearance of being spiritual. It's intriguing. It sounds deep. On the surface, it appears to be beneficial, even enlightening, because it's sophisticated, you know, or maybe it's new. But Paul warns against this. He warns that in the end, these things hold no value in helping you live a productive healthy life. None. So the question that you need to ask yourself is what I am allowing in my life, what I'm thinking, what I'm meditating on, does it help me live with integrity? Does it help me walk in truth? Does it help me to be a better mother, a better father, 
a better husband, a better wife? Does it push me to be a better son or daughter, a better employee? Does it help me pay my bills on time? Does it draw me closer, and does it exalt the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? What a test. What a test. See, what, what the enemy tries to do is he tries to get us to substitute God for something else. And he tries to convince us that that something else will work better than the tried and true formula of having union with Christ. See, this has been going on since the dawn of history. And as a result of the fall that we're all aware of, mankind is in a sad state of incompleteness. Today, we look around our world, we can clearly see it. I mean, look at our Congress. Look at the debt that we have. We just have a bunch of people up there trying to act like they know what they're doing. And honestly, nobody has a clue. Nobody has any idea what the answer is. We know what the answer is. But see, they replaced God with their own empty foolishness. That's what man does. Man tries to exalt himself. That's what the flesh tries to do. So we see that man is spiritually incomplete because he's totally out of fellowship with God. He's morally incomplete because he lives outside of God's will. And he's mentally incomplete because he doesn't know the ultimate truth. And that's where we end up without having a union with Jesus. See, at salvation, believers come partakers of the divine nature. That's what the Scripture says. Colossians verse 11 It says, when you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you were raised to new life because you trusted in the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. You were dead because your sins and because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, and he forgave all of your sins. He canceled the record of charges against you and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by victory over them on the cross. So for the Christian, the physical right of circumcision is unnecessary. That's not something that's necessary. We just do that today for hygienic purposes. That was the only reason. But it it has no benefit spiritually here. That was just literally symbolic. Just like baptism is symbolic, just like communion is symbolic, circumcision was meant to be symbolic. But see, they tried to replace the, the, the symbolism with the very act that that would do that for them, and, and it simply won't. No, it's a removal of the body of flesh, which is our sinful fallen nature that totally dominated us before our salvation. Can I have an amen? Paul says in Romans 6, 6, For we know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. Nowhere is it expressed any better when Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, listen to what he said. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ is a new person. The old is gone. And the new has come. Can I have an amen? Hey, that's what Jesus accomplished for us. Now, this leads many to ask, 
If I am a new creation and my sinful self has died, why do I still sin? And that's a good question. And Paul answers it in a very personal way. You'll all remember this in Romans chapter 7. I don't really understand myself, for what I want to do is the right thing. But I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. Anybody relate? But if I know that what I'm doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. So I'm not the one doing the wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what's good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing it. It's sin living in me that does it. So I've discovered this principle. that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart. But there's another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to sin that is still within me. Boy, can we just all say, has that guy been reading my mind or what? Because it's universal. See, we all identify with this. We all bear witness with this in our spirits. We all recognize this is true because because the fact that we've been saved and born again, now we want to live for righteousness and do what's right. And when we do sin, it grieves us. It bothers us. We want to repent of that. So the new you, which desires to do good and obey God, resides inside unredeemed flesh. So maybe this will help some of you understand tonight that or here, or maybe you watching by live stream or, or listening by podcast, maybe this will help you. Maybe you're a new Christian and you struggle with this and, and you don't understand. See, our flesh is still subject to the temptations from all that is in the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. We all are still subjected to that because in our spirit, we, we're made alive, we're made righteous, we're made brand new. But our spirit resides in, guess what? Unredeemed flesh. And guys, I want you to understand, this flesh, it's not getting any better. It never will. God didn't come to make you better. Think of it this way. Think of a rotten piece of rump roast. Or let's, let's even pick a better one. A one and a quarter inch cut ribeye. Sound better? I mean, I like roast, but let's go with the ribeye. Or a filet mignon, even better. <laughs> Wrapped in bacon. We're all ready for that. Except, except... This filet mignon wrapped in bacon has been sitting outside in the sun on a table in the weather for two weeks. It's covered in flies. It's covered in maggots. It's disgusting. As a matter of fact, it's starting to change its composition. It's got stuff oozing out of it. And I'm not, I don't mean gravy. I mean, it's like, ugh. 
And the smell, oh, 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 oh. Woo, you don't want to smell it because you'd be like, you know those Facebook videos you see of people. I watched one of those the other day. It had me laughing so hard I about couldn't breathe. So here it is. Who wants some? Nobody. Okay, hold up. Hold up. I'll take it. I'll get some hot water and some soap. I'll wash it up. I'll clean it up. I'll dress it up. I'll give it a haircut. We'll set it in church. Who wants it? Nobody. Why? Because no matter what you do to it, it's still a rotten, stinky piece of flesh. And see, that's why Paul chose to use that description of what we look like in our sinful state. So God didn't come to redeem that flesh. No, you can't. It's flesh. So what God came to do was to crucify it, bury it, and resurrect it. And then ultimately, in the last days, we will all receive our new glorified bodies that don't have this flesh, and we don't have to deal with it. See, God made you alive in Christ. He forgave your sins. He canceled the record of charges that are against you, and he nailed them on the cross. And then he disarmed the rulers and authorities in the spiritual realm. He triumphed over them in complete victory, and Jesus is now the champion of the world. Today, right now at this moment, as you sit in your chair, as you're driving down the road, listening in your car, wherever you're at, I want you to understand, we are all overwhelmingly conquerors through Christ who saved us. And see, Colossians is all pointing toward Jesus. He is the fullness of the God of God in a bodily form. And everything that you need in life, Jesus he embodies it. Every need that you have in your spirit, every need that you have in your soul, your mind, your will, your reason, your emotions, every need that you have in your life, there's only one person who can ultimately fulfill that need. And it comes by us being deeply rooted in having a union with Jesus Christ. Amen? Did y'all get something out of this? Amen. Stand with me. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you tonight. We thank you for Jesus. And Jesus, we thank you for being willing to come and die for us, to give us a place at the Father's table, to give us a place in eternity with you. Jesus, we thank you that tonight we are redeemed, we are righteous, we are made whole. Now, Lord, help us to walk out our salvation every day. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. God bless you. Have a great night. You've been listening to the CMC podcast. For more information about CMC, our different conferences, Christian school, college internship, resources, and more, go to cmchurch.com.